0: Let's pray. God, this morning, have a uh, quite a list of things to bring before you that we corporately want to bring before you, things that we are fully aware that you know about already. But being your children, we want to uh, bring our burdens before you, knowing that you're a good father, that you want to hear from us. Um, first of all, Lord, I want to bring Ellie Fields before you uh, Um, In the Fields family, with Ellie having a surgical procedure this week that is a pretty significant um, deal. Lord, we just want to lift her up and lift this family up. Uh, God, we pray that you would watch over her, uh, guard her body and her health and her spirit and everything um, that she may experience fear or concern or worry. Just pray that you would give her a peace that passes understanding. We pray that, too, significantly, and especially for Tracy, as mom. I know Greg uh, must be feeling some of that as well, but I know even from hearing from Tracy that there's a um, significant uh, mom kind of worry, and uh, we just entrust her to you, Lord, and pray that you would minister to her in a way um, that no words could. Um, if you choose to use words, that's great. If whatever you might choose to use just pray that ultimately it comes from you and that she looks to you for comfort and peace right now we're thankful that she has a great doctor that they have a great team at work and a great uh, hospital that will be caring for them Uh, i'm thankful too lord that you have a sweet family church family surrounding them that's poised and ready to come alongside and already has in so many ways we entrust them to you lord thankful that we can bring her to you Lord, also this morning, I want to pray for um, uh, physical things that are just obvious, that are that you can see, or you can um, that manifest themselves in some sort of way that is obvious. Uh, I'm thankful that we have good medicine for that, Lord. What I'm burdened about, especially right now, Lord, is those who struggle with the unseen mental, um, mental just difficulties, struggles, dark places that are uh, like poison, Um, I pray for those folks among us, uh, maybe all of us to some degree, struggle with those things you can't see, and heartbroken and burdened for those that are struggling, especially right now, even as we speak and gather right now, that there are those that are dear to us that are, are hurting and angry and frustrated and confused and in a really dark place. And Lord, we, um, we pray for care. We pray for love. We pray for patience. We pray for wisdom and insight into how to come alongside and how to help with those less visible uh, struggles and pains. Um, teach us to discern um, and how to move wisely and how to help. Lord, also this morning, I want to pray for our mission team in Munich. I'm just thankful to hear about those that have heard the good news of Christ. Thankful that a couple of Muslim boys um, had the chance to hear about the good news of Christ this week. Among many others, an old German guy has a chance to hear about the good news of Christ. Lord, I pray for the, we pray for the seed that was sown this week. We pray that you would use it. We pray that it would bring life, transformation, growth. We pray that churches would be born through the work that our family, our church family members are participating in. We pray for those that are um, members of our body also that live there. We pray that you would minister to them, especially right now as they are um, guiding, training. Deploying uh, teams there in the work in Munich. Lord, pray that you would bring them home safe and sound this week. Lord, also want to pray for others that are traveling this summer for camps or for um, just studies abroad or work abroad. Uh, Pray for Coleman Avance that you'd watch over him. Um, Pray for others that may be dealing with some of their family being gone because of divorce, and children that might be with the other parent right now. God, we entrust them to you. We entrust those moms or dads to you right now as they're fearful and hurting. We pray that you would give them a sweet, sweet salve of encouragement and hope and peace that those children are under your guard and your protection and in the palm of your hand. Lord, last this morning, we want to bring before you just a, a terrible time in the life of our country, in our world. Just heartbreaking events that have unfolded this week uh, right down the street nearly. God, we pray for those families that are mourning and that are angry and that are trying to make sense of loss. And God, we pray that the church would be the hope of the world. We pray that the church would bring good news in a dark place that seems to be growing darker. I pray that you would not waste that tragedy, but that you would use it for your own glory. We love you, Lord. We entrust this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I met with the elders this week on our back porch Thursday night. We met and talked about today, what we would do in these next few minutes. Brad shared that he has heard of some churches, some strong, healthy churches that are dedicating their morning to dealing with the news. And um, I think that's a great thing. I really do. I don't want to dismiss that as something that's... um, less than great, because I think the, each shepherd and shepherds of their flock need to make sense of what God has for that people for, that, for this morning. I think, man, the news is terrible. The tension between activists and police and, um, I mean, name the problem right now, gender issues, LGBT issues, uh, terrorism, um, Man, so much to talk about this morning. We could dedicate the morning just to even one of those issues and not really scratch the surface of what could be said about it. It's tempting to spend the morning dealing with some of those matters. Yet I and the other elders have a strange feeling that we could do that again next week because there's Tuesday through Saturday right in front of us. And we're in a lost, dark world. And we could do it the week after that. And we could do it the week after that. And we could move from one crisis to the next, dealing with them reactively, almost like a pinball in a pinball machine. I've thought about what I struggle with personally with what's going on in the news right now is what I've been imagining that what it would be like to be omniscient. I don't know that anybody, any human being in the world before now has any sense of what, how much information we would have in our present age. That the internet has almost made us omniscient. Depending on how fast your internet speed is, you can consult five news stations. You can go to Facebook or other uh, social media and you can be inundated and saturated with more information than I don't even know if we can possibly even process it all. The world before now just had little bits and pieces of information through the one newspaper that they got on their front porch, or through the one bit of news that came through a herald that passed through town with the latest news. They had little bits and pieces of information. We are saturated. I almost feel like we are gorging ourselves from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, especially evil. Gorges. I'm stuffed with it. And it's overwhelming. It's disorienting to have so much information all at once. And even if it was clear information, it would still be disorienting. But I think everyone in this room knows that most of what we hear is biased and influenced by the media outlet or by the media in general. We eat most of what we hear, whatever they they determine should be served up in the amount that they serve it up, we eat it. So when we consider together on the back porch, do we stop down and we speak to, should we speak to some of these matters where we landed as the leadership of this church for this morning, it's not gonna be true necessarily of every morning, but for this morning is where I think Paul landed in writing to the churches in the Roman Empire. Where we landed is I think where the Hebrews pastor and preacher landed in writing to the Hebrew church in Rome. His consistent message to them in the Roman Empire that mind you was far darker and far uglier than where we live right now. His relentless and consistent message to them was the good news of what we have in Christ and the call to hold fast to that while empires burn. That's what Paul did, that's what the Hebrews preacher did. Their consistent message to the churches in corrupt, vile, and deadly contexts was for the church to be the church. Just be the church. Listen to this passage from Colossians. This isn't the sermon. This is just something to encourage you this morning of what we're doing here maybe jot this passage down and look at it closely later. Colossians chapter 1, listen, Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. Okay, keep your eye on the football. That's the football, is the church, at least what Paul is speaking of right now. He's talking about the church He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's work was to teach the church and equip the church to be the church. And what he says right here is profound. He says, the church is the hope of glory. The reason we're going to press on with a message about the church being the church is because the hope of the world is not some Facebook rants. It's not. Do you think you're going to transform the world through some Facebook posts? I don't know if there is such thing as Facebook activism. Well, there is such thing, but I, it's impotent. What's going to change the world, what the hope of the world is the church being the church. So that's what we're going to do in these next few minutes. We're going to press on with our planned sermon series on spiritual gifts, where the church can learn and be equipped to be the church. Because the hope of the world is the church being the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ in a dark world. So turn to Acts chapter 1. Excuse me, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost is about seven weeks precisely seven weeks after Passover. This is seven weeks after Christ was crucified, okay? Place and time. This takes place, what I'm about to read, takes place in Jerusalem. It takes place in the place where Christ was crucified. And some of the main actors were people who ran like chickens at Passover when Jesus was arrested and hid like chickens from little, lying to little maiden girls, Okay? Some of the main players and the main speaker, which you're going to hear in these next few minutes, is from the chicken of Passover. It's the bold preacher of Pentecost. Seven weeks later in Jerusalem. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans even, and Arabians. Arabians excuse me we hear them Arabians that's pretty funny and we hear them (laughs) and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mocking said they're filled with new wine but Peter the chicken of Passover the bold preacher of Pentecost standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel prophesied about what is unfolding right here some 600 years earlier. Listen to what he prophesied. we are second Sunday into a series of sermons on spiritual gifts. I think this Sunday and next Sunday are less sermon and more teaching. I struggle with that a little bit because I want to preach, but I feel like some of the best preaching and most effective preaching is coupled with some good teaching. So in some ways, I think this Sunday and next will be teaching and preparing you for the rest of the series. What I want to establish first and foremost from this passage is that the Holy Spirit, as we're going to talk about gifts, is that the Holy Spirit is himself the gift. I don't want to assume for a minute that we understand what I'm about to say, or what I just said, so we're going to spend a few minutes exposing that. When talking about the gifts of the Spirit, it's important to establish, and I will not assume that you know that the Spirit himself is the gift, and quite a gift he is. See, the Holy Spirit, you may have never done a study on the Holy Spirit and where he's working or how he's worked in this whole story, but the Holy Spirit was at work in Old Testament believers, believe it or not. This wasn't the first time the Holy Spirit ever showed up in this storyline. He was at work in, whole, in, in Old Testament believers. Listen to this passage from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this would be speaking of David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord shows up and rushes on David when he is anointed by Samuel. Listen to this passage from 2 Peter. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's speaking of Old Testament prophets. Pentecost isn't the first moment that the Holy Spirit has shown up in the story. He showed up at times and in places and unique situations, speaking through prophets, for example, giving wind and power to David for example, when behind him, I guess, when carrying him along in his work as king, the Holy Spirit was around. But let me take you to an interesting passage. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. Give you a little bit of context. Numbers chapter 11. I only have like three places for you to turn this morning. Numbers chapter 11 and then a few places. I say three. We'll look at a book. 1 Corinthians, just a few excerpts from 1 Corinthians. But I want, I, I want to hear some pages turning because I want you all to see this. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can take the one and keep the one that's in the seat back in front of you. If you have your Bible, then let's turn and look. Okay, Numbers chapter 11. Give you a little bit of context for Numbers chapter 11 Moses has been overwhelmed at the notion of leading God's people by himself and making decisions and being the judge and leader of so many people. So God has him appoint 70 elders. You can look in verse 16 and get a little bit of context. Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Okay, now come down the page to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people, and he placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him, that's Holy Spirit, on Moses, capital S in my Bible, as it should be, and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. It was a temporary prophesying, a temporary display that these men were ordained and appointed by God through Moses to lead the nation of Israel. But sure enough, the Holy Spirit shows up there. First time was not Pentecost. Watch what happens now. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. Now, I don't know what's up with these guys. If they were of the 70 and were just playing hooky, you know, it says the 70 are around the tent. 70 men were appointed to lead Israel. 70 men were ordained. We don't know what's up with these guys. Okay, but watch what happens with, um, I want to call them Larry and Mo. I don't know, Shem, Ham, and Japheth kind of guys, you know. Larry and Mo, Eldad and Maydad, and the Spirit rested on them. Somehow the spirit rested on them. Okay, now watch what happens. They were, among those, they were among those registered, but had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young tattletale ran and told Moses. Okay, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But listen to what Moses says. Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I'm going to read that passage again because I want you to get that. This is some 1,500 years before Pentecost. And I should qualify. The Pentecost that I just read about in Acts chapter 2. Some 1500 years earlier, Moses says these words Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. Would that the Lord would put his spirit on them, all of them, being the emphasis. Now, the Old Testament saints, I want you to see from this little glimpse, pined for the Holy Spirit's work in all of them. But before Pentecost, It was just on a few, on select occasions. And as you see on those 70 elders, it was temporary, at least in some cases. Joel prophesied about this coming Holy Spirit some 600 years before what we read a few minutes ago. What I want you to see first and foremost, before we talk about any spiritual gifts, is the profound gift that we have of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news of of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant reality that we walk in, that all saints have walked in this side of Christ, or this side of Pentecost, I should say, is that all believers have received the Holy Spirit. Now, I put all caps on all, and I underlined it. And I want, to, I want you to visualize that and hear and see all. Capital A, capital L, capital L. That includes you. You that all believers have received the Holy Spirit as a Pentecost. And along with that, we received a manifestation of his presence in gifting. Now remember those three letters that I emphasized a minute ago, capital A, capital L, capital L, all have been gifted with the gift of the Holy Spirit and gifts from the Holy Spirit. Not some of you all. There's widespread distribution of gifts. And you see it in this prophetic passage from Joel that Peter brings up there at Pentecost. Sons and daughters. You think it was a rare occasion, an unusual occasion for daughters to be included in something that God was doing? You need to go back and read about the context of that time. Women were often viewed as property Okay, okay, you mean sons are going to be prophesying and daughters? You mean, you must mean all to talk about sons and daughters, to talk about young men, young men and old men, and now you're really going to get crazy when we're talking about servants, maidservants even, and manservants are going to prophesy? Wow, this is a unique time where all are receiving the covenant, empowering in and through the Holy Spirit. That's what happened at Pentecost when the gift was given and poured out on all, A-L-L, the people. The thing that we have to keep in mind before we even talk about gifts is that the Holy Spirit is himself the gift and he is given to all of his people people he is the universal donation to all of his people not to some of you and not just for a season but to all of you and forever he is himself the gift he is not to be equated with the gifts he brings and bears and distributes differentially among us First and foremost, and you can't miss this, he is himself the gift. He was promised to us. Moses pined for him, Joel promised him, Jesus promised him. And he is the seal and the promise. And the surety of our salvation, He opens the eyes of our hearts. He unites us to Christ by faith. He sustains us in the journey of faith. He is Himself the gift, and to be a treasured above any ancillary gifts that we talk about in the rest of the next few minutes that we have, and the rest of this series. I don't ever want to venture off into talking spiritual gifts, just assuming that you realize that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate gift Himself. He is himself the gift. Now, now that we know that we haven't assumed that, I want to spend a moment before we continue with the rest of this message praying. Can I, I don't know if I can do that, pray in the middle of a sermon? I think I can. So we're going to spend the next couple of minutes praying, just thanking him for giving us the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I don't want to assume and I don't want us to assume the wonderful gift that you've given us in the Holy Spirit as we continue this series and talking about the gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. God, together we are thankful just based on what we just read, that it was such a rare occasion when the Holy Spirit did something and showed up That now as of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us is shocking. On sons and daughters, on young men and old men, on manservants and maidservants is really good news. God, I'm thankful that every believer in this room has the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And God, we are thankful that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives means Holy Spirit giftedness for every single one of us. God, I pray that as we spend these next few weeks talking about the spiritual gifts, that the thread that runs throughout this conversation is delight and joy and wonder and marvel that you have placed and poured your Holy Spirit on us and in us that's really good news. We love you, Lord. Thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to spend the next few minutes sharing a definition and sort of a developing, um, some development of what spiritual gifts are. We're not going to go into detail of specifically of the lists of, of spiritual gifts this Sunday. We're going to do that next Sunday. But what I want to do is define spiritual gifts, I want to give some additional insights from Pentecost, and then I want to give five purposes of spiritual gifts. And it's going to be moving pretty quickly. So we haven't actually had two sermons this morning. That was not sermon one, and this is sermon two. So I know it's sort of Pavlovian. You might be ready for the Lord's Supper right now, and uh, like your bodies are just, you're salivating, but we're not done, okay? With the Spirit's coming and with his being poured out on his people, we receive the ultimate gift, but what also comes with him, I've said it before, is ancillary gifts. The gift himself bears individual gifts for every single one of us, for sons, for daughters, for young men, For old men. We could include young women and old women in there. For men servants and maid servants, every single one of us receives a personalized gift from the ultimate capital G gift. Let me define spiritual gift for you. I have three definitions here. Two of them came from uh, commentaries that I use, and one of them comes from me. And I'll tell you which is which, so you, you can place whatever authority you want on those three definitions. The first definition, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Here's the second definition. Any capacity of the believer including aptitudes present before conversion, brought under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit and the controlling power of God's grace and functioning in his service. I'll read that one again. That was a little longer. Some of y'all take some serious copious notes and you're like, man, that's too much. Any capacity of the believer, including aptitudes present before conversion, brought under the controlling power of God's grace and functioning in His service. Now, here's my definition. Okay, and this is place lesser authority on this one. Anything you consistently put your hand to in the service of the church where the outcome is greater than you. Anything that you consistently put your hand to in the service of the church where the outcome is greater than than you. We're going to come back to these definitions here in a minute, but let me give you some additional insights on the Holy Spirit and His gifting from Pentecost. Turn back to Acts chapter 1 in this case. Acts chapter 1. Some additional factors we're going to gather together about Holy Spirit gift and gifts come from this time surrounding Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter one, verses four and five. This is before Pentecost happened in the days before. Verse four, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's speaking of what's going to happen on Pentecost a few days later, what I read at the beginning of our morning. What I want you to see here that's really beautiful when you take in and consider, it's mentioned here, but it's also referenced in John chapter 1 where John is asked about, what are you doing here with this baptism thing? And John says, I'm baptized with water, but someone's coming that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking of Christ. And what I want you to see, what I want you to enjoy is your Holy Spirit gifting. The Holy Spirit being poured out on you and gifted to you is a product of being baptized in the Holy Spirit by christ i was six years old when i was baptized i was baptized by the pastor of our church roger richards i saw a picture of him recently my mom just happened to send a picture with no no descriptions, no no information just a picture of this guy he's still alive roger richards if you can believe it, that was a little bitty and he's a grown man and he's still alive because i'm pretty old getting there He's still alive, and I saw this guy. I saw his picture, and I knew his face immediately. That's Roger Richards. That's the guy that baptized me. I treasure him. I hold him dear. But what this passage is telling us, whoever might have baptized you, some of you were baptized by your father, maybe, in this church. That's a pretty cool thing to think about. But what every believer in this room should see and visualize here is that you have been baptized by Christ in the Holy Spirit. For John, the medium was water. I'm baptizing in water. I'm baptizing all these repentant people in water. But Jesus is going to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. The medium is the Holy Spirit in that case. And the baptizer is Jesus. I want you to see and visualize the concept that you have been baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit. And the product of that is going to be some gifting. Look at verse 8 of the same chapter. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Some other products of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is power and a witness. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to have some gifting as a result of that, and that gifting you've got to acknowledge, even if it might seem small and mundane and insignificant and unimportant and might even seem dispensable, according to this, it is a manifestation of Holy Spirit power. The very thing in these next few weeks you may find out is an insignificant or seemingly insignificant gift. According to this, is not insignificant. But it's a powerful gift working of the Holy Spirit. Now turn the page over to chapter 2, looking at verse 32 and 33. This is after Pentecost, and this is a description of what's just happened. Or Paul is sort of, excuse me, Peter's sort of summarizing something here. Watch what he says here in verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up, And of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The third thing that we're sort of gathering up from these peripheral passages around Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit manifestations of gifting are tangible. You can see them, it says here, and you can hear them. There are other people that have referenced in the New Testament, referenced gifts, and they've broken them up into those you can see and those you can hear. Peter, for example, did the very same thing in 1 Peter. Breaks them down into those you can see and those you can hear. What I want you to see and appreciate here is that Holy Spirit gifting is tangible. They are tangible evidences of the invisible God at work in and through His people. They are visible or audible abilities. We're going to go back to those definitions. Visible or audible abilities used in the ministry of the church. Using those definitions before again, they are a powerful visible or audible capacity or aptitude brought under God's control functioning in His service, resulting from the baptism by Christ in the Holy Spirit. Man, I, I just want to stop here for a second. If there's a reason to be involved in a local church, people talk about our, our language when we're talking about real being connect, really being connected to a church is something we call membership. If there's a good reason to be a member of a local church and to be part of a local church is it so you can exercise and walk in the gift that was given to you by the Holy Spirit. Our gifts that were given to you by the Holy Spirit. How unfulfilling to be His, to have the Holy Spirit poured out on you. How unfulfilling to be gifted by the Holy Spirit and then not to walk in that gifting and not to exercise that gifting. Man, I I just... People struggle with lack of purpose and lack of meaning every single day. I do at times. And some of you, that lack of purpose and that lack of meaning in some ways would dissipate and possibly even go away altogether if you would but work at discerning, asking the Lord for insight into what your gifting is and actually walking in it and actually using it. A visible and audible ability used in the ministry of the church has been given to you, to every single one of you. A-L-L. Now, There's purposes to these spiritual gifts. There's five of them that I have right here. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's one that I think will will be hearty. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at a few excerpts through the book of 1 Corinthians and just gather up five brief purposes of spiritual gifts. Let me just point out, too, as you're turning there, that a a gift of the Spirit is not, uh, or one of the gifts of the Spirit is not attendance. That's what I really kind of wanted to develop there. I'm not sure if it, it may have been kind of an abrupt transition where you're hearing about the Holy Spirit's, uh, those, those passages around Pentecost. You may not have made that connection there. That each of you have been, been given something that's audible and visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I just want to point out to you that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not attending and breathing. It's not. It's not it's not i mean i'm i'm glad people attend cuz it would be a bummer to preach to nobody although i would do it i would cuz i i think we're we're supposed to whether people are here or not but one of the gifts of the holy spirit is not attending and breathing we're talking about other things we're talking about other things that are more than just showing up yet most of the contemporary church would probably say hey man i got the gift of showing up that's not a holy spirit gift Okay, let's look at the purposes of the spiritual gifts. Maybe these purposes will bring out some of where I'm going of some of what, what I've just said, develop it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. I give thanks to my God. And let me just tell you, 1 Corinthians is a book about gifts. It's a bu- book about a lot of stuff, but there are so many passages in the book of 1 Corinthians about spiritual gifts. It's, it's a wonderful book developing the ins and outs of spiritual gifts. So that's why I'm going to show you five passages here from 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you, because the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that last couple of verses again. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. The first purpose that I want to present to you this morning is that the spiritual gifts serve the purpose of tiding us over until Christ returns. They sustain the church until Christ returns and as it says here, until the day that He is revealed. That through this, the Holy Spirit, as He gifts us and as we walk in those gifts, He sustains us while we use those gifts and while we wait. Wait. I think there's a principle here that's something that that you can think of is the concept of faithful busyness that through the gifting of the Holy Spirit we can actually be about some stuff that would keep us active and useful until Christ comes back. Have you ever watched a clock when you really didn't have anything to do and you're idle and bored? Man, that thing is just hardly moving but when you're busy, that thing moves faster. And when the church is moving and exercising its gifts, the time between now and the time that Christ returns passes faster because we're busy and we're doing what He's called us to do and what He's gifted us to do. So that's the first purpose to tide us over till Christ returns. Here's the next purpose turn to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, that all that we've developed throughout the morning, to all are each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The second purpose of the the spiritual gifts is for the common good, not for self-glory. As we spend these next few weeks talking about spiritual gifts and exercising spiritual gifts, there's probably going to be something in all of you to varying degrees that was in Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Something that wants to exercise something for a little bit of self-glory. Because every single one of us in this room, whether you realize it or not, are glory thieves. So we're all going to have to deal with that and struggle with that as we talk in these next few weeks. Is discerning, Lord, show me what my gifting is and not only show me what the gifting that you've given me through the Holy Spirit, but guide me as I walk in that gifting and as I serve in that gifting and as I use that gifting that it's not for self-glory, but it's for your glory. Because the purpose of the gifts is for the common good, not for your own glory. That'll set some of you free that feel like you have to serve in some sort of visible way. You know, some sort of obvious way where everybody look at me or some way that's out in front. There are lots of spiritual gifts that are not out in front. And as Scott pointed out last week, they are not dispensable. Those spiritual gifts that are not out in front are indispensable. Indispensable and they are for the common good. The third purpose comes from the passage that Scott preached from last week, and I'm going to read it just for the sake of context and because it's such a beautiful passage on spiritual gifting in verse 12 of this same chapter, chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit for the body does not consist of one member but of many if the foot should say because I'm not a hand I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now pay attention to this next section here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And the head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. The third purpose that I wanted to develop for you this morning is the purpose of need. God has developed within the bride and the body of Christ an inherent and systematic need. See, what came with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on you and gifting in and through you is the need for others gifting the eye can't say to the hand i don't need you because it needs it and the head can't say to the foot i don't need you because it needs it god has so composed the body in a way that avoids division because we need one another the purpose of the holy spirit gifting is he has built need into every single one of us It is a God ordained need built into every single one of us for what each other has. That's bad news for the Rambos, for the Mavericks, for the renegades that want to go it alone. That's bad news for those that walk in that gifting, and I should use air quotes, that gifting of attendance and breathing. That's bad news for you. It's really, it should be helpful for you to realize you need more than what you're getting. You're only experiencing maybe one gift on this morning. Well, there's a few. There's the gift, people leading in song. There's, There's gifting of preaching and teaching. So you're experiencing some of those gifts, but you miss out on all the gifts of community. The renegades and the mavericks are those that go it alone and keep everybody at arm's distance. And guess what's really tragic for us is as you sit and you attend and you just breathe, We miss out on your gifting. And you know what, according to this passage? I need it. The people right next to you need it. Man, if you're so self-absorbed that you can just come and breathe and attend, hopefully you're hearing and convicted this morning that somebody needs what you've been gifted with, even if you don't know what it is. That's the purpose of this season, this summer that we've dedicated to this series is to help you determine what it is because somebody else in this body, likely everyone else in this body, needs it. The eye needs the foot and the head needs the hand. I got those mixed up. The eye needs the hand and the, the head needs the foot. We need each other. I love that he's built us with inherent need. And the fourth thing is in chapter 14. It's on the next page for me. Chapter 14, verse 12. So with yourselves, see, or since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Look down at verse 26. It's said again, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. He's been speaking about gifts, and here he's connecting the concept of, of exercising those gifts to the concept of building up the church. Scott used the word last week. It's a great word for the purpose of edification of the church and building up of the church. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says the same thing in, in a different way. As each has received a gift, there it is, all, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use it to serve one another, to build up the church, to edify one another. There have been different years that I've committed and been faithful to reading through the Bible verse by verse according to a Bible reading plan. That's the only way that I can press on through some of those, those copious, almost tiresome passages on the building of the tabernacle and temple. You know what I'm talking about? You're reading those passages, like it's easy to kind of flip through it. Like, okay, like, kind of like the genealogy list. I'm just going to flip through that, so-and-so, beget so-and-so, and this, this guy built this curtain out of this material. and It's tiresome, right? But if you've ever committed to reading through those and to taking in and considering the detail that each one of those who were gifted by the Holy Spirit, those craftsmen, they were gifted by the Holy Spirit, mind you, for the purpose of building up from curtains to lampstands. Every single detail of building the tabernacle and temple, that should give you some insight into the importance of your gifting in building up the church today. You should read those chapters because maybe it will give you a sense of the importance of you serving in your role and your gifting to build up the church. That fourth purpose is for the edification and the building up of the church. The last one comes from chapter 13. Chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Purposes of the spiritual gifts. As you're turning there, I'll just go over them again for some of you that are taking good notes. First of all, they tied us over till Christ returns. Second of all, they're given for the common good. Third... They are for the purpose of need. God-ordained need built into every single one of us. Fourth, for the edification and building up of the church. And fifth, from this passage, beginning in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. He's speaking of gifts, there for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial, those gifts will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This passage is talking about the temporary nature of gifts. They're going to pass away eventually. The fifth purpose of the spiritual gifts is that they are an imperfect presence of Christ until the perfect comes. I love how Scott developed last week that, man, when the church is exercising and walking walking in its varied gifting, when everybody's walking in our gifting, that we look like Christ to the community. That we look like Christ to the world as the full complement of gifts are being exercised in the church family. We look like Christ. We are the body of Christ. But we have to acknowledge it's an imperfect picture. That's what this passage is saying. It's an imperfect and temporary picture until Christ comes back himself. Now here's some glimpses of what that looks like. The gifts of insight and discernment as we exercise those among us, the gifts of insight and discernment, those gifts... Shadow and prefigure what we'll have when Christ comes back. They're little tastes of it. They're like a snack that's holding us over till the dinner, the, the marriage supper of the lamb. They're tiding us over. They're prefiguring that what we'll ultimately have when Christ comes back. The gifts of knowledge and wisdom prefigure the greater wisdom that we'll have when we know as we are known, like that passage says, when we know fully, when he comes back. Between now and then, when we're exercising our gifts, we're getting a little glimpse and a little taste of what it's going to be when Christ comes, when the perfect comes. This is a good one here. The gifts of healing prefigure the perfect health we'll experience in our resurrection bodies. It's a little taste, just a little snack, but one that we need. The variety of gifts are a foretaste of the diversity and utter unity we'll experience together in eternity. When we in our various gifts are exercising those things, we're getting a little taste of the diversity and unity that we'll experience for eternity. These gifts, as awesome as they are, as faithful as we want to be walking in them, we have to acknowledge and enjoy even that those are going to pass away when the perfect comes, when Christ comes back. But between now and then, man, we walk in the imperfect. We exercise them, we identify them, we exercise them, we use them, we need them, we give them, and we give a world an imperfect picture of Christ, but it's a picture nonetheless until the perfect comes. These gifts that we're talking about this summer, they're going to pass away when the perfect comes, and I want to ask you this question that I want you to think on as we take the supper. What kind of steward will you be with what he's given you till then you're a steward of his varied grace in gifting what kind of steward will you be let me pray god i pray that each of us will be faithful stewards walking in our gifting identifying first through your revelation through your help and discerning and understanding our gifting there will be a symphony of gifts that are identified and expressed, that are giving each other and giving this community and giving the world a picture of what Christ looks like, albeit an imperfect picture. God, I'm thankful that you've given us this, that you called us to this. I'm thankful for this season that we have this summer to equip the saints for the church to be the church. God, I'm thankful that as the church is the church that we can be the hope of the world bearing good news and showing this lost, dark, painful world what Christ looks like. I pray for everyone in this room right now that either may know their gifting or may want to know their gifting and I even pray for those that really don't even care maybe. God, I pray for all of us to be burdened, to be faithful, Walking in what the Holy Spirit has poured out on us as he's been poured out on us. God, I pray that you will be glorified in this endeavor. I pray that you'll be glorified in this work. I pray that we will be faithfully busy walking in our gifting. I commit this summer to you and commit this church to you this summer. and pray that you'll use us, that you'll guide us, you'll give us wisdom. You'll give us faithfulness as we go about it. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.